You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes. And this week's guest believes that people are an organization's greatest asset and specializes in helping organizations bring out the best in people to achieve high organizational performance. She works with organizations to increase employee engagement, improve talent development, and sustain a high-performance culture. She also works with leaders by equipping them with the knowledge and tools to help their people grow lead, and succeed by empowering them to facilitate change effectively, increase emotional intelligence, make innovation everyone's job, create an engaging workplace with high levels of trust and passionate employees, and attract and retain top talent. She also has facilitated several leadership training programs, including Leadership Mainline, which I was fortunate enough to be a part of in 2019. She is the CEO of the Riker Opportunity Institute. You can find the Riker Opportunity Institute at RikerOpportunityInstitute.com. Here for your listening pleasure are the self-made strategies of Dana Riker-Jackson. Dana, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, Tony. I'm, I'm great, and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, really it's wonderful to have you. It's, it's exciting to be working with you again. We worked together, as Absolutely. I said, at the uh, Leadership Mainline program last year, which benefited Today is a Good Day, which I then became a member of the board of. Uh, which was just such an awesome experience being a part of that program. But really excited to get to know you on a more personal level, to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. So let's dive right in. Tell us how you got started with the Riker Opportunity Institute, why you started the business, and how your background led to that. Okay. Well, that might take an hour in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you the short version. Uh, so I actually went to school, believe it or not, for dental hygiene. I was a registered dental hygienist as my very first job. And the only reason I did that is because my grandmother bet me I wouldn't finish dental hygiene school. So I had to prove her wrong, but I absolutely hated it. It was definitely not the right career choice for me. And so I had a gentleman who had been a mentor of mine, uh, for many years who was in sales. And he said, you know, Dana, you love people. Uh, you love meeting new people. You're good with them. Why don't you go into sales? So I decided to go into dental sales and 600 rejection letters later, I finally got my first sales position. Wow. You have to remember that back when this was happening, sales in any industry was still predominantly a male oriented field. It actually helped that my middle name was Lawrence so that my resume said Dana Lawrence Riker. So I got a lot of interviews because people thought I was a man. Wow. So, <laughs> wow. So that, my name actually <laughs> worked to my advantage um, to some extent. But then uh, I was very successful in dental sales. I worked for various different manufacturers that sold through dental distributors. So the way I kind of differentiated myself was instead of just selling the product, I would really come alongside and coach the salespeople I was working with to be better, more trusted partners of the dentists that they were calling on. And that's kind of how I distinguished myself from the rest of the pack. Um, The other thing that 
I was really, really fortunate to do is work for companies that believed in professional development and investing in their people. And so I had the opportunity to go through some of the best sales training courses at that time. And it really helped to equip me to be more effective, you know, in doing what I do. So um, in sitting in those classes, I would be looking at the facilitator and I, I just loved, I just ate up everything that I was experiencing. I just loved, you know, being in those workshops. And I would look at the facilitator and I'd be like, hmm, that's what I want to do someday. That's exactly what I want to do someday. So lo and behold, I got married and married into a family business that was having issues with succession planning because there were two brothers battling it out for the top spot. And so um, the family business had a vendor that wanted to sell that does custom plastic fabrication. Mm -hmm. And this is my first husband, not my current husband that you've met. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My first husband and I have always wanted to have a business together. So we decided to purchase this business. It was called Future Plastics. And um, it is true what they say, that if you don't have a strong marriage, don't go into business together. Because it will reveal all the weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And it did. (laughs) About four (laughs) years later, we parted ways. But in the meantime, uh, had great success with the business. And the main theme running through it all was... Um, I really enjoyed working alongside my employees. I really enjoyed setting goals with them. I really enjoyed helping to develop them. And yet the number one complaint I would get from clients is I would love my business if only I hadn't, didn't have to deal with my people. Wow. And I thought, what's wrong with this picture? So, um, when my, when I got divorced from my first husband, my financial advisor said to me, if there was ever a time you wanted to start your own business, now would be the time because you have more earning potential than your ex-husband. And if you don't want to have to pay him alimony, you can't make any money for a year. Interesting. And so that's when I launched my consulting business. Um, Now, when I first started out, it was called sales at your service because I primarily did sales training because that was most of my experience. Mm -hmm. But then what I found was a lot of what I was implementing was kind of very impacted by the culture of the organization. And if the culture wasn't buying into my approach, the training wouldn't stick. Right. And so, and I'm all about results. So um, what I discovered was that leadership was really more what I was passionate about. I, I actually watched, believe it or not, I watched an Oprah Winfrey show that um, was, ta- they were talking about how do you tap into your calling or how do you find, you know, what it is that you're supposed to do. And she said, look back over your life and think about what you were doing when you were your happiest. Hmm. And when I did that, I realized that I was always in a leadership role, um, bringing people together behind a common cause and having a positive impact. And so that's when I switched the focus of my business to leadership development, changed the name to Solutions for Your Success, which later became a mouth 
marketing mouthful. <laughs> I mean, even on my in my LinkedIn page, there's a video of me that I had done for free, and I'm I stumble over my own company name. Wow! Um, yeah. Because that was before things were editable, so <laughs> it's, it's out there for infinitum. But anyways, so I I was actually attending a book writing boot camp. Um, that a lot of it was about marketing. And uh, I realized I really needed to change my name. I needed to reinvent myself once again, because people thought I was a life coach and that's not really what I am. Right. So, um, and they said, it's better if you use your name in it. And if you can, just because URLs are hard to come by, you know, creative, something catchy. <clears throat> so, um, what I did was I came up with Riker Opportunity Institute um, because Riker, I actually made into an acronym, which I'll get into later, of the leadership skills that you need to have. Mm -hmm. Opportunity, because I realized that I really wanted to open doors of opportunity for people that otherwise didn't have that opportunity through professional development, leadership development, learning the whys and wherefores of how you show up in the workplace that are going to work for you rather than against you. Um, and then institute just means continuous learning. So that's, you know, so, and then of course the acronym is ROI, which is perfect because I want to make sure that when you hire me, you have a return on your invested dollars and time because it's, it's an investment of both. Exactly. So that's uh sort of shorter. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. That was perfect. Of, of how I got to Riker Opportunity Institute. Really cool. So when you when you got divorced and not to pick on on that nerve, but that that was a very pivotal moment in your life, obviously. Everything Most definitely. literally the divorce, the business, everything was completely separated at that point. Yes, as a matter of fact, um it was a uh, kind of a touchy situation cuz Suffice it to say, my ex-husband had some issues that have been in the news a lot lately with the Me Too generation, just put it that way. Uh, <laughs> and um, so I, we were actually very lucky to not get sued, but it was because of the trust that I built with my employees that they knew that I had their back and they knew that I had their best interests at heart. And they were all very saddened when I had to be the one to leave the business. But my father-in-law, who I loved and adored, uh, said, you know, um, my son doesn't have a way to make a living. You do. Right. Um, you know, all he knows is the plastics industry. You know, do you mind being the one to leave the business? But my employees were, were really sad. They were crying. <laughs> and, then they, and then they got very angry. <laughs> um, which is like the normal grieving process right. uh, of, of change. Um, but I was, because of the trust that I built with them, that avoided, I mean, they really, even to this day, they could probably come back and, and sue us. But I know that they won't because they know how much I truly loved and cared for them. So That's great. And, yeah. and tried to do something about it to, to address the issue. Yeah, exactly. So. Just really quickly touching on that moment in your life, which was a, a very difficult transition, I'm sure. Um, how did you turn that transition into the positive and focus on this new opportunity? How did you focus your mind and just 
get yourself through that into starting a new business and getting that off the ground and running? A lot of prayer, <laughs> a lot of meditation, truly. Yeah. Um, and um, I think I just, I, I've always believed, and I guess this, this kind of gets to the why question. I've always believed that everybody should love what they do and, and that everybody deserves an opportunity to be at their best at work. And that's what I really wanted to impact. And the other thing that was really pivotal that happened kind of right around the same time was the Columbine shooting. I don't know oh, if wow. you remember yeah. that in yeah, Colorado. It was one of our first school shootings. And it really struck me because it was a community that was very similar to the kind of community I grew up in. And um, it struck me that somehow the message of the importance of humanity is getting missed. And literally when I was praying, I, I actually prayed, I read the Bible, prayed and meditated for an hour every morning. Wow. And and I was fortunate enough to get an apartment that was right on the ocean. So I had a beautiful ocean view to look out onto while I was doing that. So it was very healing, very inspiring. And um, and during prayer, after that Columbine shooting, because I, I remember really praying and saying, okay, God, how, you know, how can I have an impact on this? What, how can I make a difference in the world? How can I change help to change this. And that's when placed in my head was my, it's become my permanent mission statement to restore the importance of humanity, dignity, and respect. And Lordy knows that's appropriate now as well. (laughs) (laughs) Very fitting during the time, certainly. Yeah. Probably more, even more so now than it was, you know, 23 years ago, because I started my business 23 years ago. So, um, so it's, it's, so that's kind of how I got to that. That's really what led me to. And then that just opened doors, you know, opportunities kept opening up. Um, and I just kept following, following that path. That's wonderful. Having faith wonderful. And, and trusting the process. And that's been a little over two decades now, right? 23 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's absolutely incredible. I mean, to have a, to have a business that mm-hmm. long, um, especially a consulting business that long is is a true testament, mm-hmm. I think, to your your knowledge and expertise, which I happen to know firsthand because I was fortunate enough, as we said <laughs> at the opening, to have been a part of your uh, your facilitation of the Leadership Mainline program, which which was just an incredible experience. And Martha Sharkey uh, of Today is a Good Day still mm-hmm. to this day on frequent occasion mentions how um, how important that was for their organization and how helpful that was for their organization. Um, let's just touch on real quick your uh, ROI acronym for leadership development that you you mentioned in passing. What, what does that stand for and how do you apply that? Well, the R is for relationships because it's really all about the relationship. Really, everything you do in life is about the relationship. And so relationships are formed by how we interact with each other, how we communicate with each other, what our mindset is, what our beliefs are, what our values are, you know, what we see, what we hear, what we listen to. That's what comes out of our mouth, whether we realize it or not. And so I really, truly believe that you are what you focus on. You really have to focus on the right things to show up as your best self. 
Right. Um, and, and then that's what helps to form the relationships that were really the more positive communication that creates those trusted relationships, which is what's going to propel you forward and open doors of opportunity. You got to have that trust. That's trust is so key. And that's, that's another, you know, thing that I think we're so lacking right now is, is trust. Yep. And nobody really thinks about it or even probably really understands what it is because it's been missing for so long. <laughs> we have to even re- <laughs> redefine it, honestly. The I is for inspiration because as leaders, we have to find a way to be inspired. Like you asked me, how did I, how did I get inspired to know what to do with my business? Um, I think we need to connect with a, a greater, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or whatever higher power it is that you believe in, you have to believe in something greater than yourself. Um, and, and when you are inspired, you will inspire others. It, it, it kind of, it's, it goes hand in hand. And I think also it, if anybody has ever listened to Simon Sinek's golden circle, Hmm. people buy the why. So you have to be very clear about what your why is. Why do you get up and do what you do every day? Um, and, and then that why also has to be very clear to the people that you're leading, because if the why is not clear, they'll do it, but they'll do it begrudgingly. And you, you probably won't get their best ideas. You certainly won't get the innovation that's needed. Right. That's a great point. Um, K is for knowledge because we have to, you know, we have to constantly learn. We have to constant. I mean, my goodness. You say expertise. I don't feel like I'm an expert in leadership at all. I am constantly learning, constantly, and it's constantly changing. Uh, and the needs of people are constantly changing. So, uh, you know, um, you have to continuously learn and be open to learning from others, and especially others that you wouldn't maybe expect to learn from. Uh, you know, I sometimes get some of my best lessons from the most unpredictable places, <laughs> you know. In the grocery line, in the, uh, I don't know, you know, listening to the radio, it's, it's, you know, you have to just be open to everything that there is around you to, to observe and learn from, just take a learning perspective. Um, Then the E is for engagement and enthusiasm. Part of my past life also was leading a nonprofit. for positive youth development. And we did parenting programs for school districts. And one of the issues we were trying to address was school districts were frustrated by the lack of parent engagement in their child's education. And yet when I would attend parent teacher meetings, I feel the parents would just be kind of talked at instead of a conversation. Right. And so I came up, I constantly was saying this mantra, if you want people to be engaged, you have to be engaging. And the way that you're engaging is by being enthusiastic about what it is that you're, you want to share or learn from the other person and believing in what you have to share and in believing in what they have to offer and, and always, being, always being curious about that and, and looking for that and bringing it out in people. Um, which then leads really to the R, which is results and responsibility, taking responsibility for the results. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, instead of playing the blame game, which is so much easier to do, instead, be accountable for the results and create. I hate the term hold people accountable because I just envision you like, you know, say you have like a really large person you're trying to hold accountable. It's like <laughs> that's going to take so much energy. Yeah that you could be expending in other places so much more productively. Instead, it's much more productive, much more effective if you create a culture where people are kept accountable, where, where you, we, keep, we keep each other accountable because we're willing to have those difficult conversations with each other. We trust each other enough to know that the other person has our best interests at heart and care about us. And so therefore we want to stay accountable. We don't want to drop the ball because we care about the outcomes that they're trying to produce. And we care about the contribution we make to those outcomes. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what Breaker stands for. Yeah. I'll recap that a a little bit. And I, I find it interesting because it all has this sort of core value of having a growth mindset from the leadership to begin with. Right. And then that will automatically, I think, generate some, you pointed out curiosity, but also just having a growth mindset within the organization, which will lead to those things, like you mentioned, like innovation. So that's our relationship, I inspiration, K knowledge as in seeking out knowledge and looking for learning opportunities and being open to, to new knowledge. Well, but also you need to know what you're doing. You know, right. you need to know your job. <laughs> right. Of course. That's a good point. Avoiding the Peter principle as much as possible, I guess. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because how many times have you heard, you know, oh yeah, but he, he has no idea what he's doing. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So from the bottom up. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. So to build that credibility and that trust, you still you have to know what you're doing. Exactly right. And then E for engagement and enthusiasm. I loved your mantra. If you want people to be engaged, you have to be engaging. And then R for results and responsibility. You have to be accountable to yourself and to the organization more so than trying to lock down people and hold them accountable, like you said. So really interesting. I'd like that, the uh, the acronym. So let's talk a little bit about you're big on building trust. You've mentioned it a lot already. How do you advise your clients or organizations that you work with to build trust? What are some of the tools that you bring to the table in terms of helping them to build trust with their team? Um, Well, one of the tools that I use is uh, through a colleague of mine from, um, he's the founder of Integro Leadership Institute, and he further developed a model that was first created by Dr. Ralph Colby, who was a psychologist and a minister in Minnesota. He's, he has since, I think he's passed away. I, th- I don't think he's around anymore, but um, he um, actually, the, the way he developed this trust model was he ended up getting divorced. And the reason his wife said that she divorced him was because she didn't trust him. And he didn't understand this because he had never been unfaithful to her. He had never lied to her, at least as far as he could figure. And he, so he really was curious about what was he doing that was not building trust. So he started to make it, it was his passion to find out. He started studying what are the behaviors that people need to be practicing in order to be trusted and in order to build trust with others. And he came up with this four behavior 
core behaviors model. Um, the first is you need to be accepting, uh, which means that who you are is okay with me. And Lord knows we need more of that. Sounds right like it now. could be applicable right now, right? <laughs> I think I think people could benefit from this discussion. Maybe <laughs> we don't mean to laugh, of course, but it's it's at times it seems when you say these things, obviously they're brilliant, um, but at times it's the simple things that people lose focus on, right? So interesting. That, well, well, and here's the other thing too: is they, as they always say, the simple things aren't necessarily easy to right. do. Exactly, they may be right. simple, but they're not necessarily easy. They take effort, right? And they take conscious effort. It takes being aware um, of what you're doing that may be making the other person feel like you may feel like you accept them perfectly fine, but if you're not communicating in a way that makes them feel accepted, then then you're not going to build that trust. That's exactly right. Great point. Great point. Um, and so what Keith has further developed with the model is um, there has to be, he's discovered that there's values that you have to believe in and practice and live in order for your communication to make others feel like they're accepted. Hmm. And one of those values is respect. And another one of those values is recognition. And here's the deal with these values. Respect is absolutely the most important of all. That's been proven in his research year over year over year of doing surveys that measure this within organizations. Respect comes up being the number one value that impacts trust. Um, and what we mean by respect is that you are willing to understand another person's position, values, beliefs without judgment, and that they're also willing to understand, appreciate. So it's taking that time to truly understand so that you can come to a point of appreciation. And when you come to that point of appreciation, then you can value the difference and actually use it to help move you forward forward with whatever it is that you're trying to do. Now, here's the other thing that happens with acceptance. If people are not feeling accepted and if they're not getting the recognition and the respect that they feel they deserve, they're going to act out more and more and more until they get it. And the past few months have been, boy, they have been a theater for a case Absolutely. study. Absolutely. For improving, yeah. you know, this model. Um, so the second core behavior is um, openness. So we define openness as the willingness to give and receive feedback. And the two values that you have to believe in and practice is being receptive and being willing to disclose information, even when it's bad news and even when it may be difficult to do so. And another way that this has been defined is transparency. Um, and this, this is one that people continually really struggle with. Yeah. The openness. Yep. Um, the openness piece. Even myself, it's, it's interesting. You know, I always have considered myself a very receptive person. Yet when I did a one of 
the surveys that I use in, in my consulting business called the Flexibility and Trust Survey, did that with the board of directors when I was executive director of the nonprofit. The feedback I got was the way I was coming across, people did not feel I was very receptive or open or flexible. And that really hurt because it was exactly the opposite of what I wanted to be. And so, but it was very eye-opening and very helpful to learn how to stop myself because we all have a tendency to justify our positions and to justify what we say and to justify what we believe. And what we don't realize is if we don't listen first before we start to justify, then that doesn't make the other person feel like we're being very receptive. And I even struggled this like I struggled with this last Tuesday with the last class of leadership mainline. You know, it was hard to receive some of the critical feedback because we had to go virtual. And of course, I'm not a virtual queen yet. I'm still learning. And so it was hard to hear some of that feedback. And I wanted, I, I was constantly fighting that need to justify why. <laughs> um, and I had to keep stopping myself. No, just listen, listen. It's our human nature, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so that's, and, and, and then the other two is congruence, which is, um, I mean what I say and say what I mean. And then if you've been into a 12 step program, they'll say, but don't say it mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, which you have a tendency also to do helps. if you're not in a ra rational state of mind. Yeah. A little bit of diplomacy though, to your point goes a long way, right? Especially in, a, right. in any relationship really, but in, especially in a professional setting. And I know we all as people, just as human beings, we're all different people in different situations, right? I'm not the same Tony. Nobody knows me as the Tony that Sarah knows my wife. And professionally, I'm a different Tony than I am with my friends on the golf course, so to speak, or those kinds of situations, right? They're all different little nuances. We're not completely different people. But a lot of times, one of the things that's helped me, I'll share, has been to just take a moment and meditation does help because it gives you that little bit of extra space in between those, those moments of, of spikes of mm -hmm. anger. And uh, one, when you get angry, just try to acknowledge it for yourself and, and just be aware, right? What is making me angry and why am I so angry right now? And probably 80% of the times, it's something that's not that really justifying well, that much anger, right? And is it based on reality right. or is it based on a perception that is, you know, they say perception is reality, but is it a, is it a, an authentic perception? You yeah. know, is it, is it something that's truly valid right? or is it just something you've heard or something you believe that right. may not be true at all? Or a knee-jerk emotional reaction or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because we all have stuff from our past that, that triggers us. And so the more we can learn what those things are that are triggering us, then we can respond more appropriately in the situation. Right. And that's honestly the definition of emotional intelligence. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Having the self-awareness and the ability and the self-control to respond emotionally appropriately in the moment. Because how many times have, you know, have you lost it and you've damaged the relationship and then how long and how much energy does it take to rebuild and, yeah. and, you know, because forgiveness is another thing we're not very good at. Right. Um, so <laughs> I'll speak for myself. I'm not very good at it. Um, well, I think you're but, right. I think as humans, <laughs> it, it's it's a lot harder once you've damaged a relationship 
to recover from it. it. It takes at least twice the effort, if not more, right, than to just take a beat and say, and, you know, clear my head for a second here and see if this is really worth arguing about. And sometimes like that, that old metaphor of when you put a nail in the fence, you know, when you take the nail out, you may you may make amends, but but the hole is still in the fence. Good point. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. So um, so you want to prevent putting that nail in there as much as you possibly much as you possibly can. So yeah. the values that you have to believe in and practice for congruence is honesty and straightforwardness. So that's having the courage to have those tough conversations and then knowing how to deliver them in a way that meets the needs of the other person and helps them to understand how they will benefit from this feedback, um, how it connects to something you know they want to achieve, which means you have to get to know your people. You really, you know, you have to get to know. So knowledge, I guess, is also get to know your people. Yeah. You really need, you need yeah. to know what's important to them. You need to know what their values are because all of that's going to impact how you implement change. And then the final behavior is um, reliability, which is seeks excellence and keeps commitments. So you're going to do what you say you're going to do. And honestly, this is an area where, um, especially if you're in any kind of a sales position, if you do this or any kind of a service environment, people who do this consistently, you are going to soar above your competition. Because this yeah. is something that people are just so overcommitted right now. This, this is what falls through the cracks. And yet it is what most people judge as to whether they're going to continue to do business with you or not. Now, the interesting thing about that, though, is that that's what people use. The, the, the congruence and reliability is what people will use to judge whether they can trust your business and your service. But as a leader, what the research has shown is that your employees will judge whether they can trust you based on your acceptance and openness. That makes sense. Whereas, whereas most managers think that it's more important if they're reliable and congruent, which I'm not saying that's not unimportant. It is important. The consistency is critically important. But if you're going to, if you're still hitting roadblocks, if you're still not getting the level of performance and passion and engagement that you would like to see in your organization, my guess is you need to work on your acceptance and openness in how you communicate. Interesting. Yeah. Just to recap real quick, you kind of recapped it there at the end, but the four core behaviors are being accepting, openness to feedback, and that's both giving and receiving feedback, congruence which is mainly about honesty and being open about your honesty, maybe with some diplomacy peppered in there, and then uh, reliability. So uh, definitely seeking out excellence and then keeping your word, essentially keeping your commitment. So if you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it. And congruence really is also um, doing what you say you're going to do. So it's, it's really, I also like to look at it from the perspective of you're not going to ask other people to do something that you haven't already done or considered, you know, for yourself. Right. Um, so. Yeah, that's really but, valuable. I, I, I mean, I myself just sitting here learned a lot just listening to this, and I think it's a good thing to keep cycling in the back of your mind. I, I do have a question on the openness to 
being flexible and and being open to feedback. So you did mention that one of the key things to being more flexible or to at least showing others that you're a flexible person is to just have better listening skills, which is good advice in general, right? Listen first. There's the old saying, you have two ears and one mouth, you should use them proportionately. Most people don't, but might be good advice for some people out there. What are some of the other uh, pieces of advice that you might offer to someone who needs to become a little bit more flexible? Maybe they're stuck in the, we've always done it this way, You know, there's no reason to change. And I think that's a key indicator to your team, to your organization, to your stakeholders, that you're not as flexible as you think you are if you've ever used that statement. So what are what are some of the the tools or the pieces of advice that you might offer to someone like that? There isn't an easy answer to that. Actually, <laughs> it's, it's kind of yeah. it, it's it's because really honestly, it's really about developing your emotional intelligence. So it, it has to start with self awareness. You first have to be able to catch yourself when you are maybe not being as receptive as you need to be in the moment. You have to you have to kind of develop the discipline and even ask for the feedback from others. So if if a conversation doesn't quite go as you had hoped to circle back with that person and say, did I appear to be receptive just then or was I, you know, or did you feel like it was just kind of bouncing off, you know? So asking for not being afraid to ask for the feedback on how you're coming across. Right. To other people and having that that awareness and that sensitivity um, to do that and the courage to and and it it takes time too right you know it's got to be a priority for you to circle back with that person and and it takes humility as well you have to have some humbleness to say can I have a do over <laughs> right it didn't right. quite go the way I had hoped or. I can see that the outcome isn't quite what we were working towards. And so some of that may have had to do with my communication. So can, can we revisit that? You know, what worked, what didn't work, what can we do better moving forward? Yeah, that's a great um, point. Um, so I, and then the other thing too is, as you know, I use a lot of assessments in my business and um, Wiley has just come out. Wiley is the publisher of the, of the Everything Disc Assessments that I use. And they've just come out with something called um, Everything Disc Agile EQ. And what it does is it really looks at the different behavioral styles and the different ways people show up in the workplace and helps you to gain a perspective about understanding where they're coming from. And then it gives you, it actually measure, it gives you a flexibility meter on each area of behavior so that you can then um, learn the skill, learn how to stretch outside your comfort zone to meet the other person where they are. Because that's the other thing too, you have to understand the needs of other people. And really the, the definition of flexibility is when other people's needs are at least as equally, if not more important than your own. And having the willingness to meet people where they are and to meet their needs. Because by by meeting their needs, believe it or not, your needs will get met. That's a great point. Great point. You talk a lot about uh, transparency as well within organizations. It's something that you and I have discussed before this podcast many times. So what are your some of your tips about bringing transparency to organizations and why is transparency so important? 
Well, I think this whole um, COVID-19 pandemic is a perfect example of that. You know, if um, initially there wasn't a lot of transparent communication and so everybody was just kind of scrambling and trying to figure it out and there was a lot of misinformation that was going out there and so it was really helpful, at least to me, I thought, um, and I'm not being political here, I'm just giving an observation of a leader that I think, um, and you may feel differently, but I think handled it really well. I think Governor Wolf, when he came out with, you know, here are the guidelines, here's what it, here's specifically what each of these guidelines means, here's how you actually practice this in each of and it's it's when people have tried to dilute that that then it's created the inconsistencies of best practices, and then now you know we have a spike again. And <laughs> surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> sorry. No, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, so you know, and and the other example I can give is. Those companies that I've observed that have weathered this storm more effectively um, are those leaders that really took the time to meet with their employees. Um, initially, it might have been on a daily basis or a few times during the day, you know, because things were changing so quickly that it was just like a whirlwind. Yeah. Um, but those companies who really focused on the over communicate. Um, I think ended up faring much better because their employees really felt like they were really trying their best. They might not have had all the answers, but they were trying their best in providing the best information they had in the moment with the caveat that this may, this may change and probably will change and we will update you as soon as it changes <laughs> and did. Um, and so those organizations that were good at doing that, I think, fared through this with having a lot less employee dropout, you know, when people, when it was time to bring people back, they had people more willing to come back because they felt cared for throughout the whole pandemic process because of the clear, consistent communication. Um, even if it wasn't always accurate, even if it wasn't always right, in the absence, our brains, what our brains naturally do is in the absence of information, we throw in the negative and we think the worst case scenario because it's part of our survival mechanism. And so transparency means really not being afraid to share the information. I mean, obviously there's confidentialities, you know, that you have to honor and respect. But in most cases, any issues that are going on within organizations, the employees know before you think they know. <laughs> and they're just waiting to see how the leaders are going to address it and how authentic they're going to be about it. That's one thing, this leadership mainline program that we just finished. The one thing that came out from this particular class, from all the leaders that spoke during the program, was how authentic and humble they were and how approachable they were and how much more effective that was in managing this pandemic crisis and how much it gave them peace and calm and confidence and trust that things were going to be okay, that things were going to work out okay because they were kept in the loop. Yeah. So 
Did that answer your question? No, yeah, it did. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think when you look at the states that have handled it the best thus far, and I know we're heading for maybe a second climb again because <clears throat> the restrictions have been significantly reduced recently. And because of that, we see some some spikes here and there. And the countries, quite frankly, that have handled it well throughout have been those that have been most transparent, most uh, proactive well, you know, instead of reactive. Uh, yeah. You know, another another excellent example, I, I think, Governor Cuomo. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. Yeah, I couldn't agree with Governor you more. Governor Cuomo is the poster child of leadership. Very transparent. Uh, this is what we know now. This is what you yeah. should be doing. Um, yep, yeah, absolutely. And also there's a sense of accountability, I think, from both of those messages, right, to the citizens rather than talking down to them and kind of micromanaging from I'm in this position of executive power and therefore you do what I say. I'm not going to mention any names. Pol politics aside, because this isn't really a political issue. It's right. about a communication style, right? Um, well, it's yeah. about leadership, right. honestly. Right. You know, it's about leadership and leadership is what unites. Um, if you don't have leadership, you have chaos, uh, <laughs> you know, leadership has to unite. So that's the main purpose of leadership. So, um, and to keep everybody safe, people forget right. that government was created to keep us safe. That's, that's why government was created way back when, you know, um, cause we didn't make choices for ourselves. We didn't make the best choices. So yeah. we needed, got, we needed people to help us enforce the best choices. Yeah, and uh, I think across, again, across party lines from a bipartisan perspective, what we've seen recently is how ineffectual, unfortunately, our government has been when we've had to rely on them finally. It's almost like they were sitting with their feet kicked up and just said, oh, wait, I have to do something. And quite frankly, in three months, a lot of the other business owners that we've talked to, um, you know, off the record and without naming any names, have said that they've been disappointed, quite frankly, with the lack of, you know, three months have passed and no one has really come up with anything better than we were three months ago, really. And and uh, even the new regulations that are coming out seem to be shifting the responsibility to business owners and entrepreneurs, which really puts them in a bad position with the community um, and puts them at liability risk, quite frankly. It's just not not the best way to handle things. I think, to your point, more of a, a, a unified and inclusive approach would have probably been better. But that and could be said about a lot of things. Yeah, collaboration would have been a lot better if they had gotten input from people who are in the community on the front lines and said, you know, what do you need? And maybe you don't give them everything, but you find a way to get their input, to get their buy-in also, right? Because the more input they, they put into things, the more accountability and buy-in they're going to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the other thing um, that Governor Cuomo really did well, I think, is he acknowledged the emotions because whenever right. you're going through major change of any kind, it's an emotional process. It, it's, it's been proven that you go through the same emotions that you do when you lose a loved one. Right. Um, it's a grieving process. And if you don't acknowledge the emotions, then the same thing, it's kind of like the acceptance that I talked about it. The same thing's going to happen. People will act out more and more and more. The emotions will get rawer and Raw is that a word? More raw. <laughs> um, they'll get more raw. I make up my own language. That's um, great. <laughs> so, um, and what Governor Cuomo did really well too is like he would he he just you know would say I know this sucks. I don't want to do this either. This isn't how I you know this is how I not how I want it either. 
And yet this is what the science says. This is what the facts say we need to do in order to reduce the occurrence. Um, so, you know, so he, he, he said what everybody was thinking and feeling, right. You know, so then it made him more relatable, made you feel like, Oh, okay, well, he's on this journey with us. He's not just telling us what to do and then doing something different. That's a great point. Really, really great point. Yeah. Okay. Shifting back to innovation. So when, when you're identifying new innovative trends, going back to the organizational leadership side of things, what are some of the best practices in leadership and team performance in terms of identifying those new trends, um, but also to make sure that team performance is recognized as an ongoing objective? Hmm. Okay. Um, so honestly, I really think that as a leader, um, you never, if, if you're a leader and you feel like you've got it mastered, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, because, I mean, just look at how much the needs of people in the past three months have changed, you know, um, and, and we have to be constantly aware of that and, and constantly be communicating with our people as to what are you dealing with now? You know, how can I better support you now? <laughs> um, because it, it's, it's constantly, you know, that old cliche uh, change will never happen any slower than today. And there's never been a true, I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy, right? It's just, so that means that we have to really make communicating on that one-to-one and observing really kind of a skill, like just part of our to-do list. It really has to be part of our daily thought process. And you may be thinking, yeah, but then how am I going to get anything done? Well, <laughs> the key thing is, is the more you invest in the relationship, the less you actually will have to manage because people will find a way to get it done so that you don't have to. But if you're not investing in that leadership relationship, then people are going to do the bare minimum to keep their job, but they're not going to be providing you with the solutions that you need to get the work done today, tomorrow, and five years from now, you know, to make sure that you're still in existence five years from now and still relevant five years from now. Um, so I am constantly reading. I am constantly going to webinars. I'm constantly, I probably spend say I easily spend three hours a day on my own learning and development, whether that's reading other leaders' articles, um, reading stuff from SHRM or reading stuff from other leadership organizations that I respect and trust and know that they've done their homework, um, talking with other leaders. Um, it's, it's, it's a continuous learning process. It really uh, it takes an investment of, of time, but I can tell you that it does pay off. It really does pay off because you'll find that you, the more you do that, then the less will be on your actual task to do list. That's a great um, point. Yeah. And then people also tend to, to want to help you more because again, you increase trust, you increase 
loyalty, you you gain more so than than followers, you gain fans, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, right? And then they yeah. really want to see the organization and the leaders succeed because they kind of want to be a part of that success. But the other thing I think to answer your question um, as far as, you know, how do you make sure that you have a culture of, of this trust model as well as the, the teamwork is I think you need to constantly assess it and, and measure it. Um, I know with the trust model that we talked about there, I do have a survey called the Employee Passion Survey that can be taken by an organization. And so it can really help you to know uh, whether people perceive that there's a high level of trust within the organization based on how open, uh, accepting, congruent, and reliable um, not only the organization is, but their immediate supervisor or manager. And then um, that gives you specific things that will that'll be revealed in that report that then you can work on. Because sometimes it's just awareness brings effectiveness, right? If you don't know, how can you do anything about it? Right. So these assessment tools really help to heighten the awareness. And then it you can constantly measure, you know, because that old cliche too, what we measure, we achieve. So um, when you measure it, then you can keep reassessing to make sure that there isn't any hiccups happening along the way or any breakdowns in communication. Uh, and, and that will definitely help to increase your trust levels. There's the same type of thing with teamwork too. Um, many of you listening may be familiar with Patrick Lencioni's work, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. He's partnered with Wiley to create an assessment called the Five Behaviors Personal Development Assessment and also the Five Behaviors Team Development Assessment which looks at um, how well your team builds trust with each other, how good they are at getting into conflict with each other, how good they are at making commitments for, you know, to each other and keeping those commitments, keeping each other accountable and getting the collective results. And so this um, five behaviors personal assessment also measures how well you do in each of those areas and where you need to grow in order to contribute and be a better team member, because actually, you know, teams are made up of individuals. So it's harder to work as a collective team if each individual isn't showing up at their best as well. So that's, that's some of the answers as far as how I've worked with organizations to create that culture of trust and to build that culture of teamwork as well. Because that's, that's I mean, we, we all work in teams these days. So even if we're isolated virtually, we still have to figure out how to make it work together. Yeah, that's a great point. So when it comes to a leadership, we touched on this a little bit. You talked about your process that you take about three hours a day to focus on self-improvement and just reading what other leaders are talking about. Are there any other best practices that you advise leaders within organizations to start doing right away so that they can affect change in their organization. And let's say, let's take two different examples, if you don't mind. One specifically mm -hmm. where you have a leader that's in a very traditional sort of a archaic, for lack of a better term, organization that they've, they almost live by the mantra, we've always done it this way, so why do it any different? And then a, a leader who 
maybe has just struggled to try to to get their team to jump on board. Maybe a little bit of the opposite, where they they're an innovative leader, but they're struggling to get their team to buy in. Okay. Hmm. Well, the the well, let me answer the second one first. Sure. Perfect. <laughs> um, the one that buys into you know the importance of investing in people, but they're just not getting the results that they were hoping for. I would say then that's that's a you may need some self-reflection. You may need some feedback. Um, you may need to take an assessment and see where um, some of your blind spots may be. I know that's one of the things that really helped me when I first experienced the everything disc assessment, you know, that, that tells us whether we're dominant influence, steadiness, mm-hmm. or, or conscientious. It really helped me to understand why because of my personality style, I wasn't building trust with certain people because of how I came across to them. And, you know, if you, so if you don't have that awareness of how different people perceive behavior, um, then you could have all the best intentions of the world and be trying your best, but you're, it's, it's like using the wrong tool for, you know, a job, you know, right. it's going to take you twice as long and it's going to be incredibly frustrating and you still may end up not getting the result that you want. So that would be my recommendation for the leader who has the desire and, and the will and, and understands the importance. This is where I'm going to practice the, the straightforwardness and honesty with the first leader that you mentioned. Um, I can honestly say that I don't think you'll be in business five years. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, I can see why why you say that. I think em- employees are are starting to expect a lot more from employers, not just literal com- com- tangible compensation for lack of a better term. They really want to feel like they're making an impact and you see a uh, uh, a resurgence for lack of a better term, not really a resurgence, but maybe just a spike in triple bottom line organizations, organizations that are are more impactful to other stakeholders and not so focused on only the bottom line of making of generating revenue, more so of what are we doing with the community? We talked about, you know, before we got on this call, the Philadelphia Zoo, for example, the Philadelphia Union, a lot of other organizations like that that recognize the fact that they need to support the community around their their organization to really flourish. Uh, well, you're right. And a lot of times my experience has been those that have that, um, I'm, I'm the leader, do as I say, not as I do. Um, they're very numbers driven. Right. In many cases, um, which I understand you need to be, you know, as, as a leader of a business, you, you have to, you have to make your numbers. And what I can tell you is that there is, and I have white papers on this, so you can reach out to me and I'd be happy. Actually, some of them are posted on my website. Um, but trust equals profitability. The, the higher level of trust within your organization, the more profitable you will be with less expense, less liability, more engagement, less turnover. I mean, all of all the measures that we use for success for our business, trust is actually there's a, a, I forget who the individual was that I just recently read an article about. He said, trust is going to be the most important currency in the 21st century. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. 
Um, so what I would say to those leaders is read some of the research and data around the impact trust has on an organization and think about your own relationships. Are your relationships the quality that you want them to be? And think about one thing that, that like one step that you could take is maybe if you haven't scheduled a one-on-one with your direct reports or even your leadership team, you know, schedule a, a one-on-one and just say, you know, how are things going? What's working? What's not working? You know, how can I better support you? You know, what what do you need from me? Um, and I think you'll find if you do that, number one, you're going to learn a lot. And number two, you're going to find it to be such a rewarding experience because you're going to find out that you have some real rich assets in your business that you didn't even realize you had to tap into. You're going to discover talents and abilities that you didn't even know people had um, that will definitely impact decisions, business decisions moving forward and impact how well you can and how quickly, because it's all about speed these days, how quickly you can get those changes in. And by the way, there's another statistic. Wait a minute. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick here. Of all change initiatives out there, it costs, I think it was, I think the figure was $500 trillion. I mean, it's like an unbelievable number um, is failed change initiatives cost like $5 trillion a year. Wow. That is crazy. Crazy. But speaking from someone that's that's been on both sides of the fence, both uh, working working with leadership in in client organizations now and and leading my own firm and those kinds of things, and then also having been an employee through the majority of my life for, of different and varying organizations, I think part of that and and you've certainly mentioned this before, but just want to kind of refocus that that while that one on one is really critical and important there needs to be that foundation of trust, right? Because if you go into that one-on-one and there's this culture of um, uh, instilling, and you may not even realize as a leader that you're instilling fear and, uh, and apprehension and, and mm. this sense of stress in, in your own organization. So there really has to be some fail-safe put in place, some honest and very genuine uh, this is going to be an open discussion where you're not going to be reprimanded <laughs> for being open about what some of your ideas are, right? That actually, you bring up a very good point, Tony. Yeah. I speak from uh, experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I, yeah, because some people, when they're called into the office, if you will, you know, it's like, oh gosh, yeah. what did I do now? Yep. What am I, you know, and there, there's more fear than there is a productive conversation. And so, yeah, so there may be some groundwork that you need to lay, you know, prior to that. Like if you decide that you're, you really want to take this approach, you may need to first communicate out to the organization, you know, it, it has occurred to me with everything that's been going on that I would benefit from having a conversation with each and every one of you to really understand better what you're dealing with 
and how we as an organization can better support you to be successful because when you're successful, we're successful. Yeah, that's a um, great point. And, and to kind of lay that groundwork first before actually, instead of just all of a sudden in your calendar, you're, call, you're calling people <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, Ooh. not a good thing. What did I do? Yeah. yeah. What did I do? Now, that, actually, though, that brought up another thing that um, for the for that first kind of leader again, think about what is the behavior that you desire to see that you're not seeing. You know, what is the behavior? What is frustrating you that's not happening? And then hold the mirror up. And are you a role model? For that behavior, because just like a parent with a child, your employees are looking to see if you're practicing what you're preaching. Yep. And if you're not practicing what you're preaching, you can talk and say the right thing till you're blue in the face. No one is going to believe you. They're just going to be like, oh, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. And then they just go off and do whatever they're going to do. Nothing changes. So they have, you have to start role modeling the behavior you desire in others. That is actually the most impactful way to change whatever it is that you would like to change within your organization. Right. It has to begin with you. Yeah, it, it really does. And, and that's a, a brilliant point. I think it's really important that you, people also focus on the fact that it's kind of like Rome wasn't built in a day, that old adage, right? This is not going to go from, I was, even though you may not think of yourself in that context, your mm-hmm. employees may have been fearful of you. You know, you walk by or, or they see you or they get a call from you or an email or whatever, and it raises apprehension. And you may not think of yourself that way, but it takes a long time to build that relationship and that trust back up like we were talking about, right? Well, you remember when Joe Frick shared um, his story. Um, And he said that, you know, he was in a position that he was, you know, peers, buddies. And then as soon as he got promoted, he was, he he didn't, his location didn't change. He was in exactly the same cubicle, but all of a sudden people, instead of stopping to say hello, just started walking right on by. Right. You know, people that he had just had a nice conversation with the day before, you know, so. It's it's un- unfortunate. I think it has a lot to do with our upbringing, you know, that we create these barriers um, or fears. I, I don't even know what the right description is when people get promoted into leadership positions. And so what we have to do as leaders is just accept that that's the reality and that we need to own reaching out. So that's another, I guess that's the other R, you know, for, for Riker reaching, we have to be more intentional, more purposeful and take the time to make sure that we're reaching out. And very clear in communication, right? Yes. Um, Yeah. Say what you mean. Don't say mean. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a great saying, actually. Very cool. Well, Dana, thank you so much. I think this was such an informative episode. There's a a lot to unpack here, but I think it's really useful for organizations to take a lot of this advice to heart and then seek out similar to to what you talked about. Take 
an hour a day, a half hour a day, something a little bit, uh, baby steps towards being more inclusive, being more collaborative, being more open to the opinions and cultures and backgrounds. And a lot of times, even one of the things that we didn't touch on is we're all just humans at the end of the day, and we all go through different cycles of, you know, some of us are having a great day when others are, are clearly not having such a great day. And just being sensitive to that sometimes, even that will, will break down the barriers of apprehension and build a lot of trust, right? Well, and that's something that's actually been really, I think that's been one of the positives of this pandemic is that with everybody having Zoom or, or um, WebEx or Teams meetings, you know, they're seeing the children, right. they're seeing <laughs> the spouses, they're seeing the dogs, the cats, you know, they're seeing what actually, you know, really matters and yeah. is important in people's lives. And if, if that stuff's not going right, yeah, we're supposed to compartmentalize and not bring that to work. But you know what? We're human beings. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So the more we can acknowledge and understand that and build in supports that helps people, you know, to deal with that as best they can. I, I, I think the days of being one person at work and one person at home are over. I think we just need to figure out how do we help each other be our best selves. Period. Great. Point. And that will and that will improve our personal as well as our professional lives. Wonderful point. Well, Dana, if people want to reach out to you, they have any questions or they want to work with Riker Opportunity Institute, what's the best way to get in contact with you? A million different ways. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can um, go to RikerOpportunityInstitute.com. My email is consultdana at RikerOpportunityInstitute.com. But honestly, if you just Google Dana Riker Jackson, all of that stuff comes up anyways. So I'm pretty easy to find. Cool. Um, so please reach out to me. I would, I would love to work with you. I would love to help you through this transition, I'm becoming a virtual trainer. I have virtual, I have, I have a variety of options available for people and a lot of new options that are providing lower cost opportunities to companies that otherwise might not be able to afford the training and development that is so honestly, the interpersonal skills and the emotional intelligence piece there couldn't be a more critical time to invest in that right now. So please reach out to me because I would love to help you with that. And I will make sure that whatever dollars you have, have, you know, get put to good use. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Dana. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on the show. Absolutely, Tony. Thank you for the opportunity. You know, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs>